All right, welcome back to the Beyond Sunday podcast. This is Pastor David Bowser. With me, as always, uh, nobody. Nobody. I'm in the studio by myself. I'm in here having a conversation by myself. Because, folks, sometimes that's how the schedule goes, right? You come back from a new year, and one of your hosts is traveling, and another host uh, is recovering from COVID, and then suddenly uh, it's the end of the week, and you gotta you got to have a podcast. Because uh, all of you fine listeners are waiting on Monday morning, and we got to do things. So... That's the way it goes. So this week, it is just me in the studio. We're going to have uh, some time to chat a little bit and see how this conversation goes. Uh, we've done this, I think, once, maybe twice uh, before, and uh, something we don't try to do a lot. We prefer to have the conversational style, but uh, for this week, we're going to have a little a little conversation, just, just you and me. Uh, and it sounds creepier when I said it that way than I meant it to, so... We're just going to have a conversation. We'll just go with that. We're going to we're going to talk about New Year's resolutions. Is actually what we're going to talk about because it's a brand new year, right? This is Monday morning, January eighth. We're one week in, um, so some of our resolutions perhaps have already gone by the wayside. Uh, hopefully, some of them might be still going strong. We'll see. Uh, but I got I got a little story, and then we're going to get into the New Year's resolutions piece. So I have been uh, traveling. We're going to talk more about that here in a little bit. But I just got back. And uh, yesterday, as I was back, I had the opportunity to talk with a colleague, and they shared a little story with me about another colleague who had posted on uh, their church's social media um, something along the lines of, it's not enough to, to just show up to church or to just say that you're a Christian or this, that, right? But you've got to do the thing. You've got to take action. You've got to read the Bible. You've got to pray. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. And on the surface, this seems like a really simple thing, right? Like, yeah, this is good. We want to encourage people to to read the Bible. I think that's good. We want to encourage people to pray. I think that's appropriate. But there's this there's this underlying nefariousness to this kind of language. And, and this is what my colleague was pointing out to me, looking at this and saying, but like this just feeds into this sense of I'm not enough, right? It feeds into this sense of I can never do it on my own. And I think that's a really a really dangerous thing that we start to encounter when we think about New Year's resolutions too. So I want you to keep that story just kind of in the back of your mind. And I want you to think about your resolutions. Or maybe you don't have any resolutions, but maybe you've done them in the past, right? That This idea that it's, it's a brand new you or new year, so you know, new year, new you, or 10 steps to the better you, whatever it is that your January is kind of kicking off. This can be a really, a really good thing. It can be really powerful to take some sort of initiative uh, in order to uh, make a change that you've been wanting to make for a while. New Year's resolutions can be wonderful, um, but it can be also be a really, really dangerous slippery slope. I think so often we see these New Year's resolutions come out of places where we we discover those parts of ourselves that maybe we we aren't content with, uh, and not not just discontent, but the parts of ourselves that we've come to to dislike or the parts of ourselves that we think aren't enough, the parts of ourselves that uh, we think are not worthy of love or appreciation or are are just, I don't even know, I don't even know the depth of it, right? But it's it's those parts of ourselves that uh, we think if we could just make this thing better, everything else would fall into place. And it, ju- it just isn't going to happen that right that way, right? Like how many times have people gone into a New Year's resolution saying, well, I want to fix just this one thing. I want to fix just this one thing. And if I do that, then everything else uh, will be better. Everything else will be taken care of. It just, it just doesn't happen because it turns out that that one thing is maybe not, maybe not the problem or at least not the solution, right? That maybe there is something else 
going on. And I think this is where we lose the nuance of New Year's resolutions. And that's the part that I really want us to think about is is the nuance. Uh, You know, I want us to do this because nuance matters, right? It's not enough to just say, well, oh, new new year, new resolution. I want to, I want to eat better, right? That's, that's just not enough. Like it might be good, right? And maybe, maybe eating better is the right choice that you and your family need to make. That could be the right thing, but it's not enough to think, well, I'm going to do this one thing and all my life is going to fall into place. Everything's going to get better. But let me, let me try to give an example here. I think this might be helpful, right? So I, uh, in high school, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. In high school, I was a runner. Um, I was a runner because I wanted to play football, and then I discovered that I was pretty scrawny, and I didn't like getting hit that much, uh, and so football didn't work out. And then I wanted to play basketball. It turned out I wasn't a very good shot, and I wasn't very, uh, very uh, a good ball handler to be on the outside, so uh, that didn't work out. And so I ended up running because turns out it doesn't take a total lot of talent to run, right? Incredibly difficult. The people who are uh, good at it, they're very good at it, and they work very, very hard. But as far as like talent goes, you can train. Anyway, that's a different conversation. So I ran in high school. That was the point. I ran in high school. And after high school, periodically, I would try to get back into running, right? Back into some motivation to do it on a regular basis because I knew it was it was healthy for me. I knew it would, uh, you know, make me, uh, you know, lose weight if I wanted to lose weight or, or keep me exercising if I wanted to exercise, whatever that might be. And I just could never get it to stick. I could never do it consistently, right? Every, you know, every year there'd be a week or two where I'd go out and I'd do it really well and then pff, it'd fall off the wayside. Or I'd go and I'd, I'd get the new shoes and I'd be going and oh, nope, month later it's done. And this went on for years. I mean, we're talking, I don't know, 11, 12 years probably that this went on after, no, even more than that. <laughs> I got to do math because that was high school. Sorry, we're talking like 15 plus years, uh, 15, 18 years is what we're talking about uh, in this amount of time. Oof. That one hurts a little bit. Happy New Year. All right. Anyway, so kept trying to get back into this running. Eventually, the pandemic hits, right? So we're now in 2020. And my whole family, my son, my daughter, my wife, and I, we're all in the house. Uh, We're all in the house all the time, right? All of us were in this boat together. You all remember this. And I, I needed an outlet. I needed a way out. And my wife could see that I needed a way out. We could all see that we needed space from one another. We needed space to process, to think, to figure out what was going on. And so uh, or running became my thing. And it started as just a, I have to get out of this house. And so I'm going to run. I'm going to go out and do something. Because it turns out that running is a fairly pandemic safe activity, right? When you're running by yourself out in the middle of nowhere, it's hard to catch uh, a, a pandemic from anybody else. So that was my that was my outlet. And then as this went on for about a week or two, suddenly I would come home from these runs and I would discover that I, I felt like I was better, not not better, maybe not the right word, but I, I was more patient, right? I was more caring. I, I felt like I was able to be a better father and husband to my family because I had this outlet, because I had this place where all my frustration and anxiety and anger and hurt and disappointment and fear and all this stuff that was building in me all the time from this world that we were living in that we didn't understand where it was going or how it was going to turn out, all of that was pent up. And this this running became an outlet, a space where all of that could get worked out, where I could be in my thoughts and I could process that stuff, where I could spend time um, thinking about my life, thinking about my relationship with God, thinking about where God was calling me, thinking about the transitions that were coming for my family and for our church and all the stuff that was happening. I could do this stuff while I was running. And when I came back, I could be a more attentive, more 
uh, more kind, more gracious, more energized father and husband for my family. I've been looking for this sort of nuance for over 15 years, right? And it didn't come until I finally found this motivation in saying that I'm doing this thing not because I'm trying to make myself better, not because I think there's something wrong with me. I'm doing this thing because I love myself enough to see that there's something I can do differently. Right? I love myself enough to see what I need in order to be that better husband and father. And that's the kind of nuance that we need with a resolution. Right? It's, it's the kind of nuance that says, I know who I am. And there are parts about myself that I think can be better, not because I need to be better, but because I want to be better for those around me. I want to be better in the relationships and the partnerships that I'm a part of. Because I already know who I am. I already love who I am. But I know that there are pieces that can shift. And when we, when we think about resolutions, when we think about that nuance that comes in that term, we really start to talk about grace, right? And, and grace is this word that we throw around a lot in the church, right? There's no shortage, particularly if you hang out at Lord of Life, you're, there's no shortage of opportunities for you to hear us talk about grace. In fact, one of our core values here at Lord of Life is experiencing grace, being a part of a community that doesn't just talk about grace as this thing that's far off in the distance, but is this daily experience where we want to be washed again and again and, and flooded with God's grace uh, coming through our lives and coming through our community. We want to experience that. So we hear about grace all the time, but what, what are we really talking about here? Well, when I say grace, and this isn't necessarily even like a particularly Lutheran uh, you know, strict definition, right? This is the David Bowser uh, interpretation of grace. Um, when I hear grace, I'm talking about this free gift, this free gift of God that has been given to everyone in the world, past, present, future. Everyone in the world has received this gift of God because Jesus came, was born, died on the cross, uh, was raised from the dead. Because of that, God has given this gift to us that says you, broken, flawed, uh, human that, that injures themselves, that seeks for <laughs> their own gain over the gain of others, right? You that does all the stuff that we're not supposed to do, you have been given this gift that says you can be in relationship with God again. That's grace, right? That I have been given this gift that allows me to be in relationship with God when I shouldn't be able to be in relationship with God. I shouldn't because because the reality is, as a human, I don't want to be in relationship with God. I want to be in control. I want to do things my own way. And yet grace says, no, I know that this stuff is all true. I know you want that. And yet I'm going to give you this gift. I'm going to give you this gift that says you can be in relationship with God again. So that's what I'm talking about when I say grace. Now, there are two primary camps when we talk about grace. One, uh, I would say, is kind of rooted in Luther. It's not necessarily uh, strictly Luther, but it is rooted in Luther. And one um, is almost definitely not Luther. We'll get to that in a moment. So first one, Luther. Uh, the free gift is yours. You have to do nothing, right? This is what we talk about grace all the time. It's a free gift. You do nothing to earn it. Um, you know, baptism is not something you do to earn grace, right? Communion is not something you do to earn grace. Reading the Bible is not something you do to earn grace. Uh, I could go on, right? Because you cannot earn grace. That's not how it works. It's a free gift. You do nothing for it. And at the same time, you do nothing to lose it, right? This gift is freely given to us by God. It is yours. You can neither gain nor lose any amount of it. It is yours already done. That's the strictly uh, kind of Luther interpretation. Now, the second 
is that there are parts of our uh, Christian faith that will say, well, yes, uh, grace is a free gift, right? We understand that. But it's a free gift that is given when you have done X, Y, Z, right? It's a free gift that's given when you've been baptized in the appropriate way and said the appropriate prayer. It's a free gift that is given when you are reading your Bible every day, when you are praying every day, when you uh, have the gift of speaking in tongues, when you uh, do whatever, right? It's a free gift that's given, but you have to do something to earn it. This is a this is a piece of where that initial story that I talked about, right? That story that it's not enough to do X, Y. This is kind of where that theology comes out of. It's this idea that grace comes to us when we do enough. And the question then becomes, well, what is enough? Right? How do I know when it's enough? Because there is no marker in the Bible. We're going to get more into the Bible in a moment. But there's no, there's no marker that says this is it, right? This is the number of times you have to go to church. Or, or this is the number of times you have to go to communion or, this is, or confession. Or, or this is the way you have to be baptized. Like, that marker does not exist within Scripture. So how do we know when it's not enough? And this, this second camp, it really leaves us feeling like we can never be enough. It leaves many people, I should say that way. It leaves many people feeling like we can never be enough. And it leaves others thinking that they are enough and thus are really uh, becoming their own savior, right? Uh, it leaves some feeling so self-assured, well, I read my Bible every day, that they're no longer relying on the grace and love of God. They're relying on themselves. They're relying on uh, their own ability to be savior. Now, it sounds like the second one is really dangerous. The reality is the first piece can be just as dangerous, right? That Luther's understanding uh, can leave us in this place where we can say, well, I don't have to do anything. Grace is a free gift. I can do whatever I want. I can go on and, and keep drinking. I can go on and keep womanizing. I can go on and keep, uh, I don't know, whatever it is that we want to do. Whatever that, that vice, that sin is that uh, we want to keep doing. We can go on and keep doing it because there's nothing I can do to lose this gift of grace that's been freely given to me by God. Right? Both of these sides, in their most extreme context, completely lack the nuance that is required of grace. Completely lack the nuance that we've been trying to understand with this uh, New Year's resolution that we've been talking about a little bit here. The reality is there's this there's this middle space, this nuance between the two spaces, and it doesn't fit as easily in a Facebook post or a tweet or a or an Instagram or on a bulletin board or right. It, it takes time for us to sit and wrestle and think about this nuance. In fact, it's not even going to easily fit into this podcast, which I'm still not quite sure how long this is going to be, but it's not going to easily fit here. We're going to have to take this and then sit with it and wrestle with it over time, over days and months and years. It's going to involve us sitting in this space to try to let ourselves live into the nuance. It's not, grace is not a cheap, quick fix. It's not. Grace is completely free. It's, it's incredibly easy, but it is not cheap and quick as far as fixes go. It's, it's found in the nuance. Let's get into the nuance of grace, right? It's not just that we have a free gift that we can and we do nothing for it, right? That's, it's not just that. And it's not just that it's a free gift when you earn it, right? Both of these extremes lack that nuance that's in the middle ground. The nuance comes in this, that God's grace is absolutely yours, it starts in that same place that Luther started, right? God's grace is absolutely freely given. It is absolutely yours. And, and there is work to do to be in that relationship. 
Think about that with me for a minute, right? It's not enough to just say, God's grace is mine, and I don't have to do anything. And it's not enough to say, well, I have to do X, Y, Z in order to earn grace. No, 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 no. Grace is yours. That's done. But now because grace is yours, what do we do because we have this gift? How do we respond to this gift? How do we enter into the relationship that this gift offers us? Not to earn more grace. Not to try to increase our position in the status of God's whatever, right? But because we have received this gift, how are we called to live differently? I mean, just think about the nuance of the Bible a little bit here, right? Because the Bible is completely nuanced. This is what we, in in the pastor world, right? we, we often, I, I'll, I should use I statements, not we statements, I'm sorry. I often get really frustrated with my pastoral colleagues of other faith traditions, uh, other denominational traditions, I should, perhaps should say, um, who look at the Bible and say, well, the Bible clearly says X, Y, Z. Because that's not how the Bible was written. It's not how the Bible is meant to be read. It's not how the... Uh, It's not how Jesus read it. It's not how the disciples would have read it. It's not how the Pharisees of Jesus' day would have read it, right? It's not how the Bible was intended to be used. It's not a black and white, here's the clear answer book. It is a book that is filled, riddled with nuance. And nuance, that allows us to experience the grace and love of God in new and meaningful ways. You know, think about the story of Rahab. Right? Rahab, a beginning of the book of Joshua, the Israelites are getting ready to come into uh, the promised land. And so Joshua sends some spies ahead to go and scout out Jericho. And in Jericho, the spies are going to get caught. And so they come across this woman's house. Turns out she's a prostitute. Uh, and she hides them in her house and then says, okay, I know who you are. I know what your God has done. So now that I've saved you, you need to save me and my family from this place. You know, when you come in, you sack Jericho, you destroy the walls. When you are going to do whatever it is that your God commands you to do to the city, I need you to save me and my family. And then the Israelites go back to their camp. They go through all this stuff. They eventually cross the river. They eventually surround Jordan. There's a whole other story that goes with that, but they rescue Rahab. Rahab becomes a part of the Israelite tribe. And then Rahab gets listed in the lineage of Jesus. This woman that was certainly living outside of God's intention, right? She was not a part of the covenant community of Israel. She was a prostitute, which was definitely not in line with God's intention for uh, humanity through the laws that had been given to the people at this point. And yet she's brought into this this fold because she sees the grace and mercy of God at work. She is brought into this fold and becomes one of the, I don't know, great, 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 great something grandmothers of Jesus, or look at King David, right? King David, who we lift up as one of these heroes of, of the Old Testament faith. You know, a, a, a king who did so many wonderful things and yet had this incredibly huge downfall in his interaction with Bathsheba, where he essentially is guilty of sexual assault and, and of adultery and all these other things with this woman, right? It's, it's a terrible story. It's a vicious story. It's a story that we often prefer to overlook and glance past. And yet, David himself acknowledges the brokenness that he experiences in this moment, acknowledges the ways in which he strayed from what God desired for him. David himself acknowledges the nuance. Right? You can read some of the Psalms. Some of the Psalms are, are written, and in fact, uh, Psalm 51 is written expressly after this moment. Right, it, uh, We hear a kind of a little 
side intro to Psalm 51, which said, you know, written by King David uh, after the prophet Nathan confronted him about Bathsheba. And we see the brokenness that he experiences in this moment. Because David is not perfection. David is nuanced. David is a king who is struggling and trying to find uh, a right path with God and messed up. And yet God remained faithful to David. And, and there were consequences for David's actions. But God remained faithful. Or, or look at Jonah. Oh, man, Jonah. Jonah, who you know, basically spends the entire uh, book, his entire book, you know, running away from God and, and not doing what God wants Jonah to do or, or doing a, a halfway job of what God asks Jonah to do. And then at the very end, you know, whines and complains because God is merciful, right? <laughs> because God shows mercy to these people, Jonah gets all angry and upset. And God says, well, do you have a right to be angry? Do you have a reason to be angry? And Jonah comes back. I love this line. Yeah, yes, angry enough to die. That's Jonah's response, right? Because he's just the, the king of drama in this moment. But it's all about nuance, right? It's not that Jonah followed God perfectly. In fact, Jonah almost never follows God perfectly in this story. But God is still faithful to Jonah. God still calls Jonah. It's in, it's in that nuance of the story that we see the grace and mercy and love of God revealed. Or, or even think about Paul's theology. How often have you heard someone say, well, Paul says... And then they quote one verse, and they tell you that women have to cover their heads, or they tell you that wives have to be uh, subservient to husbands, or they tell you that women aren't allowed to preach, or they tell you that, uh, I don't know, whatever other thing. For, Paul. for some reason, it seems to be that Paul's things are most often quoted when women are being told not to do things. <sighs> anyway, that's a whole other podcast. All right, so how often have you heard Paul says blank, and then they give you one verse, and that's the thing. But what about the nuance of Paul's theology? What about the spaces where Paul's theology doesn't fit quite so easily into one box? What about the places where, yes, Paul says this about women in leadership in one in one letter, but in other letters he lifts up women who are very clearly in leadership and praises them and says this is a wonderful thing, right? What about the fact that <clears throat> he has these seeming contradictions, which really are just meant to be, they're meant to be used within the communities that they're given to, right? There's nuance to these letters. They're not clearly defined rules and laws that are meant to be followed. They're meant to be sat with and wrestled with. We're meant to look for nuance because in the nuance, we discover the grace and mercy and love of God. In the nuance, we discover that, yeah, there are some women, just like there are probably some men who should definitely not be in leadership, right? There are plenty of people who should not be in leadership in the churches. And then there are other women who are incredibly gifted preachers and prophets and, and uh, proclaimers of God's word and revealers of God's mercy and grace in this world. Both of these things are true in Paul's life. In Paul's experience, both of these things are true because Paul existed in this nuance space. Even if we don't capture that correctly all the time, Paul did. Paul existed in this nuance space. See, so many churches make it out to be like it's clear, like it's just one thing or the other, and it's just not. What these churches are doing are feeding into our consumeristic need to be told that we have an in-group and an out-group, or that this is who is supposed to be in power and this is not, or this is how you're supposed to be in control and this is not, right? These churches are feeding into our consumer need. Grace is not about fulfilling a consumer need. That's why this message is probably not going to be the podcast that goes viral. All right, that's why this message is not going to be the one that brings a, a million new people uh, into the church and thousands of dollars to do whatever, right? Because 
nuance doesn't fill our consumer need. But nuance reveals the grace and mercy and love of God. Those heroes of the Bible, they are not clear. Their meaning is found in nuance. All their positives are found in faithfulness to God, not in perfection. There's one more metaphor that I want to throw out here for us. I mentioned earlier on that I'm I'm just back from vacation. Uh, we take uh, an annual trip. It's it's about annual, and we try to go to see our family uh, because we have moved here to Texas. My wife and I we've moved to Texas. We're both from Ohio originally. Amanda's uh, family now lives in Michigan, and so we try to get back right after Christmas to see family because I still like snow. I miss winter. Amanda could do without it, but I still miss it. Our kids love to go and see snow. And so we go back right after Christmas to, to spend time with family, uh, even though this year we did not get snow. Uh, that's a story for another time. Anyway, so we're back uh, visiting my wife's family in particular this year because we had seen my parents. So we're back spending a week-ish uh, with my, my wife's family. And I had this this moment where we were, we were all together and we were, I don't know, we were preparing dinner or something, right? And it was a moment where I was running around. I was watching our kids. I was helping watch some other uh, cousins who were there. And I realized that I was doing all this stuff for an entirely different reason than I used to. I want you to think about this with me. I've been with uh, Amanda. I've known her family since, uh, let's see, 2007, right? So however many years that is. Uh, 2007 until 2024, uh, that should be 14, 20, no. 14, I don't know, 23 years? No, that's not right. That's definitely not 23 years. 10, 14 years. That should have been easier math. All right, forgive me, folks. Uh, anyway, it's been a while. And I remember being with her family at the beginning of this whole thing. And I remember doing everything I could Anytime there was an opportunity to help, you know, washing dishes, uh, stirring a pot during dinner, uh, getting people a glass of wine, uh, going and playing with kids, uh, uh, cleaning something up, whatever I could do to be helpful. And I remember that the drive back in, you know, 07, 08, 09 was always to impress her family, right? I want uh, them to like me. I want them to embrace me, accept me as part of the, their their group. And so I need to do these things in order to to earn my place, right? I need, I need to do these things in order to earn my place in their family. And then there's something that happened. I don't know when it happened. I, I became aware of it this time, but there's something that happened that switched. Sometime between 2007 and now, it switched to the point where I no longer do this in order to earn my place in the family. Right? I still help. Right? I, I still do these things. I'm still cleaning dishes, playing with kids, offering people glasses. This is still who it's still a part of who I am. But I do it because they care about me. Because they have embraced me as a part of their family. I'm not doing it to earn a position or to earn a status or earn anything. I, I do it, I work at this out of the gift that is already mine. They've already embraced me. They've already shown me that they care about me, that they love me, that they want what's best for me. They've already done those things. And so now I serve and I care and I embrace because I have that gift. You see, the, the, the work itself hasn't actually changed. That's the, that's the trickiest part about this. The, the thing you do may be the same, but the motivation, the nuance changes everything. 
I'm washing the same exact dish, but now I'm doing it because I know I'm already a part of this community and I want to embrace that relationship rather than doing it because I'm trying to earn my way in. And how often do we take that same stance with God? How often do we make our faith a game of trying to earn our way in rather than doing these things that might be the same exact things, but doing them from a stance of I am already fully loved, fully embraced, fully a part of this God-given community, and I do this thing because I want to be in this relationship, because I want to have a part in this relationship. The gift is fully yours. Grace is fully yours. Now, how are we going to live that nuance out? How are we going to live that relationship out? That's the nuance of grace. Grace comes for the you that you are right now. Grace doesn't come for some future you that doesn't exist, some you that has changed all the things that you've done wrong. No, grace comes for you right now with all of your struggles, with all of your hurts, with all of your pains, all of your scars, all the cracks, all of the places where you're sure you're completely unworthy of love. All of those things, grace comes for you right now. And then we put in the work. We put in the work because because we already have this gift. Because we already have that grace. We don't put in the work to earn grace. We don't put in the work to earn a place in God's kingdom. We don't put in the work to earn God's favor. God's favor is yours, beloved child of God. God's favor is yours. And we put in this work because we've received that gift and because it allows us to be fully in that relationship that's offered to us. So new New Year's resolution, new year, new you. Is as good? Is this bad? What it, yeah, it's fine, right? New Year's resolutions are great. Make a resolution. I hope you make a resolution. I hope you want to do something to make this, new, this year better or different or more something, right? I hope that this year is meaningful for you. But think about the nuance behind your resolution. Is this resolution coming because you hate some part of yourself and you want it to change? Or is this resolution coming because you love yourself, your family, your community, and out of that love, you want to be in a better relationship, a better place with yourself, with your uh, world around you? Are you living out of an understanding of the grace that is already yours. Because that's what God is doing. God is loving you as you are right now. And God is inviting you into something new. I don't know that I can say it any other way. I probably could if I thought about it, but I think that's a good place for us to sit. God loves you exactly the way you are right now. And God is inviting you into something new. So as you're thinking about your New Year's resolutions, as you're kicking off this new year, think about the nuance. Think about this nuance of grace, this gift that is freely given to us, and the ways in which we're called into something new by our God and Creator every single day. 
because that nuance matters, right? It's not just black and white, but it has to start uh, with a place that says we love ourselves the way God loves us. And we're inviting ourselves into something new the way God invites us into something new. All right, I think that's all I've got today. Um, whew, that was that was a full bit. I hope you enjoyed this. I I appreciate, if nothing else, I appreciate you giving me the space to process these thoughts out loud. Uh, we'll be back next week with another Beyond Sunday, uh, hopefully with the whole cast back in studio. Hopefully uh, we'll all be recovered and well and done traveling because it'll be uh, two years into a new year and all that stuff. Uh, if you uh, liked this episode, uh, tell Patrick and Elise that they should just bug out for a while. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you don't want to listen to this every single week. But if you like this, you know where to find all the other episodes, beyondsundaypodcast.com. Send us an email at beyondsundaypodcast at gmail. Uh, let us know if you uh, have any interest in uh, New Year's resolutions or have anything that you're working towards. We'd love to hear those stories as well. All right. I think that's all I've got. And as always, we'll see you next week on Beyond Sunday. <laughs>